If you have a story you would like to hear featured on this podcast, please go to AsTheRavenDreams.com and click the button to submit your story. Also, if the platform you're listening on has the option to rate this podcast, please consider doing so. And thank you. Hey there. So, this happened last year while I was working at a local thrift store. We had always been one of the more popular and busy shops, so there was never a dull moment. But that also meant we were typically the go-to for donation drop-offs. I was a shift manager, so I was often there late, making sure all the donations were in, sorted, and put away, so that we didn't have to come back to a mess. At the time of this event, it was November, and we were doing a coat drive. One of the hospitals nearby did an adopt-a-family type deal each year, but they always started it early for this reason. They supplied the families with the coats that we got, as well as food and gifts for the holiday. Our facility was big enough to store all the coats for them as well as wash and sort them, and they always brought us treats for our work, so... Really, it was a win-win-win. I liked all the feel-goods, you know? But this did not bring good feelings. This night, I already had two people working on the coats, and for some reason, we got slammed with donations. It was like a whole neighborhood moved out and just left us with everything they didn't want to take. It was probably about an hour after closing and I felt bad keeping a couple of them after their shift. Everyone was so kind and thoughtful of others when it came to covering breaks or shifts, but I never expect anyone to stay longer than they're scheduled. This is why I usually stay late, so when we finally got everything in, I told them that they could head out. One of my guys, Ollie, agreed to watch the store so I could at least take a quick break before he left too which I was thankful for. I went out to my truck so that I could smoke really quick and call my boyfriend. Afterwards, I usually just sit there with my window down, enjoying the night air, while doing something on my phone before I have to go back. This time, though, I just cracked the window and never fully rolled it down. I guess I was just being lazy or just too tired to bother with it. They were manual windows, after all. I think I was reading some article or story because I was pretty involved in my phone, to the point that I wasn't really paying attention to my surroundings. So, when I noticed the time and went to get out of my car, I felt my soul leave my body, as I saw a kid standing by my driver's door staring at me. After letting out a hefty yelp, I caught my breath and realized that this kid had not budged. You know how when you scare someone by accident, so you also jump from being startled? Yeah, they didn't do that. They just continued staring in my truck. So, I say kid because they definitely looked younger, not to mention the old-timey school uniform that they were wearing. They had long, straight, dark hair, and bangs long enough to cover their eyes. I always parked in the same spot, which was right below one of the few lights in the parking lot. Because of this, the light hit the top of their head, 
causing even more of a shadow on their face. After a few seconds that honestly felt like minutes, they hadn't moved from my door, making it so that I couldn't get out. So I just asked, Uh, can I help you? They didn't say anything, so I put my face closer to the glass to make out their face. And that's when they finally spoke. Can you give me a ride home? In a low, almost monotone voice. I continued to sit there for a moment before they finally repeated, saying, Ma'am, can you give me a ride home? Now hearing their voice, I was certain that it was a kid. They couldn't have been more than 14 years old or so. I had a son that was 12 at the time, and he was about the same height. But even though they were just a kid, something felt wrong. Terribly wrong. I noticed that I started shivering, but it wasn't even really cold. I felt incredibly uneasy, so I slowly lifted my hand and placed it on the lock. I spoke as I locked the door, trying to disguise what I was doing, and I told the kid... I'm sorry, hun. I'm still on working, just on break. Are you okay? Are you out here alone? The kid just said again with no emotion, Yes, please, ma'am. I'm scared and I just want to go home. Can you let me in? For someone who said that they were scared, they didn't look, act, or sound scared at all. They didn't look around... There was no breaking in their voice, and their breathing didn't even seem erratic. So, I told them again that I was still on the clock, and that I had to get back, but I offered to call an Uber or their parents, or even the police, if they felt that they were in danger. They declined my offer, insisting that I should be the one to take them home. I was starting to become overwhelmed with fear. I couldn't get out of my truck because they were standing close enough to breathe on the window, I also did not want to get out with them so close to me. I didn't know what they were planning. So, in case something were to happen, I wanted to make sure that I knew what they looked like. I took my cell phone and shined the flashlight on their face, and that made it even worse. I realized it wasn't their bangs or the shadow and the darkness covering their eyes. Their eyes were pitch black. I could see their mouth and nose and followed it up to their eyes, and they just looked sunken in and dark, like they had no eyes at all. This caused me to say something a little unladylike, and I quickly rolled my window up the rest of the way and called Ollie. There was no way in hell I was getting out of my truck now. As I explained to Ollie what was going on, this kid just continued staring into my truck. He agreed to walk out to my truck to make sure that I could get out safely. At least I was hoping that if they tried anything, it would be a 2v1, so the odds should be in our favor. As Ollie approached my truck, I could hear him shouting something in our direction. This caused the kid to look over at him, and Ollie stopped dead in his tracks. I cracked my window again and told the kid that it was best that they move along, and that we would call for help. They slowly turned their head back towards me, then opposite of Ollie, and slowly started walking towards the edge of the parking lot towards the road. I was still a bit torn, but maybe that was because I was a mom. I was terrified. That fear that caused me to barricade myself in my truck was not letting up, but yet, I didn't want this kid to walk into the street. 
I quickly called 911, and when they were far enough away, I got out. I talked to Ollie for no more than a minute or so as I explained what all had happened. By the time I turned back around to look for the kid, they were gone. The parking lot was bare. There was a small median at the edge that just had barberry bushes in it. If you aren't familiar with them, they're pretty much just small purplish leaves and thorns everywhere. There's no way they tried to hide in it because of those thorns. There was nothing else in the lot, and I was in complete confusion as to where they could have gone. My shivering seemed to get worse, but again, I wasn't cold. I sure was terrified, though. We both went back into the store, locking the doors and waiting for the police. Thankfully, Ollie agreed to stay with me until they arrived, which made me feel better and also made my experience more credible, I suppose. When they got there, we told them what we had witnessed. I left out the eye thing because I didn't want them to think I was crazy or pulling some prank. I basically explained that there was a kid around here with no adults, and that they were asking for help, but took off. They looked around the building, in that same lot, and even across the street. As you may have guessed, they never found them but they said that they would make a report and check for missing and runaway children reports. I never heard anything else about it after that incident. Ollie and I have never forgotten about it, and, in fact, we've talked about it on occasion. He told me about when he stopped walking towards me. When they turned to look at him, all that he could see was a dark face with faint, glowing eyes. He said it was like the glare that some people's eyes have in photos, but there was no reason for that to happen by just looking at them. Between that and the overwhelming dread he instantly got to, he felt his body made him stop, or something told him to not get closer. I kind of knew of black-eyed kids' stories prior, but I never really thought about it one way or another. I started looking into it more after I told a friend about this, and they were up in arms, thinking that I had just experienced one. I can definitely believe it now between the weird clothes, dark yet glowing eyes, not to mention the eerie feeling they brought with them. If it was a black-eyed kid, then I hope to never experience anything like that again, because I don't know how I would react and I don't want to know what would happen if there wasn't a barrier between us. This happened a few years ago. I was 16, am female, and was going to German classes at a language school. They ended at 8.30pm and the bus came at 9 I usually would wait until there were five minutes left to go out, as it was dark, and wait at the bus stop a street away. This time I decided to go earlier to see if the shops were open to buy something to eat. I arrived at the bus stop, and there was a couple waiting, past a gas station, a sports club, it was full of screens to watch football and such, a few shops, a bakery, and finally the supermarket. Both the bakery and the supermarket were closed, so I went back and decided to buy something at the gas station. I bought snacks and went outside to the bus stop. 
There was someone else this time besides the couple. A guy. Mid-thirties, maybe forties. I was minding my business, waiting, eating my snack. There were still like 25 minutes left. The guy approached me and asked in German if I had a lighter. I told him that I didn't, and he backed down to where he was. He came back about a minute later and asked something. I don't remember what, but I didn't want to talk to strangers, so I said in English that I didn't speak German, which was kind of true. Unfortunately, he replied in English and told me that he also spoke English. He asked where I was from, and I said Spain. Not true. He then asked me what my name was, and I answered quickly with a fake name. He then told me that I was very pretty and that he saw me pass by the sports club he was in, and I started to get very uncomfortable with this situation. He asked me what my age was, and I said 17, again not wanting to reveal anything true. He said that I looked older, he then said that he actually came here to find someone he could marry, and that I was so pretty. Keep in mind, this dude was way older than me and very obviously so. I was even more uncomfortable and told him that I had a boyfriend back in Spain, which was also a lie. He said it was sad and such a pity, and then asked me for my number. I told him I didn't have a phone number because I was not from here. He got sad and asked me for my Facebook. I told him again I didn't have one, and he got kind of pushy, almost angry, and then asked me, But don't you want to be friends? Don't you want to be my friend? And I was like, I'm sorry, I just don't have anything. And he kind of gave up at that point. He then left. He turned around and went back to the sports club, which means that when he saw me by the window... He decided to follow me half a block and wait at the bus stop for me, which is one of the creepiest parts of this. So, yeah, to that guy, uh, let's not meet again. My bedroom is the hottest room in the entire house. In the winter, I have to almost fully cover the vents to block heat from coming in, and I have to sleep with the window open a tiny bit to keep it from getting too hot. I have a medical issue that causes me to get violently ill if I get overheated. When it's fall, I generally keep the bedroom windows open. They have screens on them, and I have blinds and blackout curtains, and I sleep with them open. I have a window at the front of the house, and a window on the side of the house in my room. The other night, I was watching TV because I have horrible insomnia, and I just couldn't fall asleep. Sometime after midnight, I heard footsteps outside my window on the side of the house. There's leaves all over the ground already, so it was pretty loud. I paused my show and listened, honestly just figuring it was one of my roommate's dogs. I realized, unfortunately, that there was no way it was either of his dogs. The girl dog is much younger, maybe a year old, and she prances everywhere. It's pretty adorable and very distinctive since I hear her out there several times a day. His other dog is a large dog, but he's very old and very fat and slow-moving. He generally can't even walk the distance from the back door to the other side of the house near my window. 
His walk is also very distinctive because he hardly lifts any of his paws. He's super old when he walks. I also noticed that it was very clearly the steps of somebody walking on two feet. Within seconds of me pausing the TV, the steps completely stopped. I listened for a while, but eventually turned the show back on. We do have a tree between us, by my window, and our neighbor. It's completely plausible that if someone was outside the window, they could have climbed into the tree and waited until they could get away without being heard. Eventually, I fell asleep. Just a little while ago, I had dozed off watching TV, only to be woken up by my cat frantically jumping on my head to look outside the window. He never looks out that window when I'm asleep, because he can't find a way to the window without stepping on me and waking me up. His tail was puffed out, and the hairs on his back were slightly raised. I've rarely seen him do this. He's only acted like that one time towards an animal that was a cat that we brought into our room and allowed to eat his food. He looks out the open window all the time. He loves seeing other animals. This took me from scared to absolutely freaked out. I paused the show again, and it was unmistakably human steps outside my window. Only this time they didn't stop when I paused the TV, and they definitely were not trying to be quiet. I heard them take several quick steps, and the sound faded towards the front of the house, confirmed when my cat launched himself across the room to look out that window. I then heard what sounded like a car door, and then nothing more since. I called the police, and two searched the outside of the house with flashlights, and another car drove around shining their spotlight around the neighborhood. Here's hoping whoever this is doesn't keep coming back. I'm also going to get some cameras as soon as I can to put outside my window so that I can find out who this is and have them stopped. So, I, 16 female, found out recently that my grandmom was in the graduating class at Revere High School of 1978. At that time, she was 18. The story came out because she said something when I told her about the new series on Netflix. You guys should know who I'm talking about. I told her about it and she goes, oh, I remember him. And I obviously told her that a lot of people know him because, you know, what he's done. And she stops me and goes, no, no, I graduated with him. I stood there completely frozen. Now she showed me the yearbook picture, but I don't think I'm comfortable sharing that on the internet because I don't want people to find out information about my family. But I can't lie about this. Especially this. So I'll tell you some things that she told me. This was about two weeks ago, so I'll try and remember what she said word for word. Now... I did go to the high school with him, but there were so many kids in that school, I barely even talked to him. Everything you hear about him from high school is basically 100% truth. He was the definition of weird. He would actually come to school drunk on some days. The only reason some people started to notice who he was was because he would freak out as some sort of joke, and he would act like a kid with special needs. I don't remember if I had any memorable conversations with him, 
but I do remember one specific time I saw him in the hallway. I had only heard about what he had been doing, but I didn't know if it was actually true, so I asked him. Aren't you the boy who puts on those acts in the hallways? Yes, I am. Why, do you find me funny? She responds, Well, sure, everyone does. I've never really seen you. I've only heard the stories that people tell, and I just wanted to know if it was you. Well, you're right, it is me. Glad you find my jokes enjoyable. And he smiled at me. Not a toothy smile, but a grin, I guess. I don't remember talking to him again after that, as that was towards the end of the school year. Then, the school year ended to my luck, and he appeared in my college. He got kicked out shortly after for, I think, a drinking problem. I never knew of his family life, frankly. I didn't want to know. But I could tell it wasn't good. I never saw him again after that. Well, I did, but on TV. When I found out what he did. I can't even begin to describe how I felt about it being the fact that I kind of sort of knew him and went to school with him. I'm not saying he was normal. With anybody that turns out like this, people normally say, oh, I could never see them doing it. It disgusted me in ways that I can't describe. The first thing the news said was that they caught somebody who they described as a murderer later on. Then they let out the details of what he actually did, and that's what shook people. Seeing the new series really helps people understand how disgusting that man is. Well, it shows you what he went through. It doesn't make you feel bad for him, which nobody should. I'm glad he went out the way he did. Maybe if I didn't ask him that question that day, I wouldn't feel so uneasy. So, yeah, that's basically in a nutshell the story that she told me. I could tell my mother feels uneasy when she talks about it, but I'm guessing my grandmother has told her already. This happened a couple of years ago. I don't remember the exact month or year, but it couldn't have been more than just a few years ago because Bitcoin was at or near its peak. I used to spend a lot of time on the dark web, mostly on forums and things like that, but never on anything that was explicitly illegal. I know, that sounds incredibly convincing, right? Believe it or not, there are pages on the deep web that are good for entertainment. Some of them are in the gray area as far as ethics go, but again, not explicitly illegal. And some of them only become illegal if you take action on the page, I think. Look, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't really know. Anyways, I was browsing pages without intent to actually do anything on them, and was just perusing through some random onion links to see what's interesting that I could find. After checking out some random pages that sold things that were definitely not legal, I found another page that was, well, definitely not legal. From the start, I knew that this page was serious. The name of the site was something like L.H. Oswald Solutions, an obvious allusion to Lee Harvey Oswald, the man who assassinated JFK. Honestly, seeing that kind of made me chuckle. Something about using Oswald's name for the page was genuinely humorous. After reading their information, 
it was pretty clear why they used that as the name. The entire page was meant for users to pay Bitcoin and hire a hitman. The page explained that they had top-tier men working for them, and the price categories as well. The product started at intimidation and included things like arson, murder designs to look like a failed robbery, and had other tiers that were meant to make it look like an accident. The last one was the most expensive, obviously, and they gave scenarios on how it could happen, including hiking accidents, accidental drownings, and car troubles. Now, I had no intent on doing anything on this page other than reading what they had to say, mostly for entertainment, but then I got to the bottom of the main page. They had a full-on legal disclosure, which I thought was hilarious. It explained what actions could be taken if they failed and laid out their personal guarantee that they could find anyone and everyone without fail. Immediately after this was a small note at the bottom. We can find anyone and we can prove it. Click here for proof. Now, I know what you're thinking. No sane person would ever click on that link, and no one could be so stupid as to click it intentionally. I didn't want to, but I had to. I had to know how they would guarantee that they could find anybody. So, I clicked the button and the page switched over to a plain black site with a smiley face and a little hourglass icon that indicated it was loading. After a few seconds, the hourglass turned into a checkmark. At first, I thought that that was it. It was just going to sit there with the checkmark, and that was the end of it. Then, much to my surprise, my cell phone started ringing. Obviously, I was freaked out inside, but I answered it anyways. I said hello. The voice on the other end was digitized, thankfully. It basically said, Here's your proof, thank you for considering our services a couple of times, and then hung up. I was actually grateful that it was a robocall and not a real person, but I was also quite terrified that it was able to find my number and call me. This was enough to tell me that they weren't screwing around, and that I needed to never go to their websites or question whether or not those Hitman sites are legit ever again. Hey everyone, I wanted to post this story up in hopes of explaining some of the horrors that you can actually find on the dark web. Honestly, most of the things you find on the dark web aren't actually the horror movie cliche-laden websites that everyone seems to think they are. Most of the dark web is questionable or illegal adult content. People trying to buy medications illegally, etc. If you're wanting something like what you see in the movies, you have to actually know where to look, as in have the onion link. I'm not saying that those things don't exist, they just aren't easily or readily available. 
a lot of people tend to think it's like a dark version of Google where you can just search crazy stuff and be given the results within a few moments, but for the most part, it's really not. Anyways, that's out of the way. I wanted to talk about a dark web experience that was honestly horrifying for my friends and I. This was several years ago. I think that we were 17 at the time, and we thought that we were hackers. I know it sounds stupid, but the three of us were all about the nerdy crap, the Python coding, networking, and again, quote-unquote, hacking. I'll spare myself the embarrassment in explaining all of that, just know that we knew our way around a computer. Naturally, the three of us gravitated towards places like Reddit, and then 4chan and such. I don't remember where we heard about the dark web, probably from a friend, somewhere on the news or on one of the aforementioned websites, but when we learned about the difference between surface web and dark web, our curiosity was piqued. We started looking into what it was, what was out there, and what we could do. And of course, we were enchanted with the hacker haven that it was glorified to be. We thought we would get on there, look at some of the questionable sites, and be the coolest kids because we accessed content that others didn't know existed. So, we did what we had to. We loaded up Tor, got information for some onion links, and got ready to have our minds blown. Of course, it ended up not being as interesting as we thought it was going to be. The sites were plain and bland, We saw a couple of them selling pills, others that we didn't even bother scrolling through because of the front pages, and a few webcam sites that we honestly weren't interested in. I think all of us were getting a bit disappointed in what we were finding, though I don't know what we were expecting to find. I think we just started clicking through and going anywhere and everywhere that we could get to. Looking back, this was a really stupid idea. After clicking around for a while, we ended up on a page that looked a little flashier than the others. I can't remember the name of the page, but I think it was something along the lines of Your Choice, or something like that. As we started on the home screen, the whole page looked like it was a site for a butcher shop. There were a number of pictures of meat slices and cuts all over the front page, explaining the quality and what seasoning went best with each piece. Unfortunately, I think that you can all see where this is going. We ended up on a page with a list of cuts, and each of them had a diagram of a person. The part where the meat came from was highlighted. Some of what was on that page was horribly graphic, so I won't explain it in this story, but you can imagine what all was there. One of the most disturbing parts of this website was its explanation on its sourcing. I recall it explaining that all packaging would be discreet, and that they would include their own special seasoning packets that would go best with what you chose. What's worse, they explained that all of their meat was fresh and sourced on demand. They touted the fact that they had the ability to get everything when it was ordered. Obviously, we were freaked out by seeing this, seeing this kind of meat. We got off the site, and pretty much immediately removed Tor. We all kept up our pursuits in the IT world, but I don't 
think that any of us have ever been back to the dark web since. So, I'm a female, 26 years old. At the age of nine, we moved in with my great-grandparents. I mostly grew up in a suburban area, and it was nice and quiet, or so I thought. At ten, I told my mom that I wanted to start walking home. I always enjoyed walks with the lush green trees on our street, and school wasn't far at all. Maybe five blocks through the neighborhood. Anyways... One day while I was walking home, I saw a big Adelphia cable truck, no longer a company I think, and it was in the US, in one of the cul-de-sacs. Obviously, I didn't think anything of this. That is, until the old man started motioning his finger for me to come to him while he was in the truck. I shook my head terrified, and he nodded, still gesturing his creepy finger signaling for me to come over to him. I ran. I bolted fast with my oversized backpack and did not stop running until I got in the door and locked it. I was mortified that an old man would be asking a child like me to come to his car, and my mom taught me better than to be fooled by his big company truck. To be fair, I was a young bloomer, and grew out in the fourth grade, so I blamed how my body looked for a long time. The second time was in front of the house that I lived in, in that same neighborhood. I always enjoyed sitting outside in the front lawn, and we had one of those big green electrical boxes that I would sit on from time to time. I was playing with those weird little berries that grow on trees, daydreaming and enjoying the nice weather. A white van was driving down my street, and I didn't think anything of it. Obviously, a lot of workers use very similar vans. However, as soon as the van passed me, I hear a loud screech, and I look over to see the white van making an unbelievably fast U-turn. I still remember the sound of those tires leaving marks as they rushed back around towards me. I ran inside and I locked the door. Now, my mom always told me to trust my gut, and that's just what I did. Coincidence? Maybe they made a wrong turn? I don't know, and I wasn't going to risk it. Anyways, these are real stories, and it actually feels nice sharing this because, as a mother now, I can only hope that nothing like that happens to my daughter. I pray that it doesn't. But these things do happen, and children go missing. Trafficking is very real, and I consider myself lucky. This story is related to one that you've told in the past. You could see it as a continuation or addition to it. I'm not the author of that story, but I have had a similar experience. The story in question is the one that you mentioned back in an older dark web video about those kids that ended up on the human meat shop. If any of you don't recall the story, first off, go listen to the video, but... It was about a group of kids that were messing around with the dark web and ended up on a butchery site that listed human meat. And it also explained how to properly prepare it, 
advertised their seasoning and gave all the information about the specific human cuts. They also touted that they sourced on demand, meaning that they had the ability to get the meat when you requested it. So, they had it on standby. And they would kill and cut it when you wanted it. It's kind of like Wendy's fresh, never-frozen promise, but for cannibals. Yeah, it was some really creepy stuff. And what's even worse is that it's legitimate. I can actually vouch for the legitimacy of the human meat market. I don't know about the specific page that they were on. It could have been a honeypot, but who knows. But there are a handful of actual pages that you can work with to get human cuts. I've actually spoken with people that claim to have eaten human meat. And they've told me that it tastes close to veal, but depending on the person's fitness level can also taste closer to pork. I don't know about you, but that thought makes me gag and want to become a vegan. That said, I actually have a bit of a story about another dark web site that was similar, but it took it a bit further with their intentions. I'm not going to name the page. I don't want your listeners going out there and becoming man-eaters. Plus, it's super illegal to buy human meat. Duh. But there was, and probably still is, a dark web site out there that is dedicated to cannibalism. However, they see it as more of a religious experience than anything. You heard that right. They see the practice of cannibalism as a religious experience. This group of people that are on this page firmly believe that loving thy neighbor isn't enough, you should also gnaw on their shins with the bit of sweet baby rays. Sorry, bad joke. Humor aside, I'm being completely serious. This site was built by a group of people, a cult, if you will, that held a firm belief that the ultimate act a human could perform to get closer to God was to consume their fellow man. Their ethos basically stated that eating human meat caused a change in your biology and would make you more than human. It said something about how it was basically the only way to climb up the food chain, and that the only thing above humans were gods. Thus, being more than a human made you godlike. I remember reading a lot of the information on this site and thinking, wow, these people are completely and totally insane. But they definitely hold tight to their own beliefs and don't shy away from what they taught. Like I said, This was pretty obviously a cult, and it used all of the expected cult language, pushing you to become more than what you are, talking about how their leader was given this message from God himself, and trying to gather more members through positive reinforcements of their ideology. They had a whole section where you could sign up for a meeting to come and see what their group was about, which, to me, felt like a method of getting more victims maybe they were legitimately recruiting people. Much like the other page, they had all the basics of how to prepare the meat, what flavors went best with what parts, how to safely eat your human meat, which is an interesting thought. There was even an entire section of the page dedicated to their members and their rankings. Their favorite activities... It was honestly like an icebreaker page that was made to show you that everyday people were also willing to eat other everyday people. Overall, this was a 10 out of 10 on my WTF meter, and if I disappear after sending the story, 
you'll know what happened. I just hope that they pair me with a nice salad to balance out the meal. This story isn't mine personally. I'm not the type of person to go out onto the dark web for any reason. The story actually happened to a co-worker and good friend of mine, and I made sure he was okay with me submitting the story, and he said it was fine. For the sake of privacy and security, we're going to refer to him as Ron. Ron's a good guy. Probably one of the nicest people I've ever met, and he really didn't deserve the situation that happened to him. I will say that I've known him for a few years, and I completely believe everything he's told me about this. Several years ago, Ron lived in a comfortable suburban home with his lovely wife of ten years, and for the sake of security, we're going to call her Karen. Ron and Karen had a seven-year-old daughter at the time of the story, and everything seemed alright. Ron had a good job and made more money than they actually needed. Karen was a stay-at-home mom that took care of their daughter when she was home, and ran the various errands while she was at school, pretty much doing the basics of what a stay-at-home parent does. Ron was under the impression that their marriage was in a good position. He loved Karen as much as he always had, he loved his daughter more than life itself, they had a nice house in a nice neighborhood, and they had enough money to take care of any financial emergencies if they needed it. To the best of Ron's knowledge, they were all happy and healthy. He didn't think anything was wrong at home. Karen, on the other hand, was apparently very unhappy with their marriage and was determined to leave Ron and run off with some guy that she had met online and been talking to for around a year. Karen and her internet boyfriend had apparently spent a lot of time plotting, and spoke extensively about how they could follow through on what they had planned, and what would be the best way to get the deed done. At one point, they even discussed the possibility of the internet boyfriend driving from his home in Nebraska and doing it himself, saying that he could make it look like a robbery gone wrong. Apparently, this would have been too personal, and they opted to look on the dark web for someone to remove her husband from the equation. Then, she would wait long enough to bury him, collect the insurance, and pretend to grieve. After a few months, she planned to then take their daughter and the money from his life insurance, and run off with the boyfriend to start their new life up north. Based on this conversation, she was adamant that it needed to look like an accident. That way, the life insurance would pay out the maximum. Like I said, Ron made good money and was worth a decent amount when dead. So she planned to live a few years off of that with the new guy. Back to their actual plan. As I said, they had the intent of going on to the dark web and finding, basically a hitman to get rid of her husband. Apparently, they were actually successful to an extent. They got on the deep web, they found a site that listed people providing these services, and they got the information of someone they were going to pay for the entire thing. They even went as far as sending the 15000 to the account of the person that was supposed to do the job. Thankfully, for Ron, 
his wife and her new boyfriend were not well versed in how things worked on the dark web, and to some extent, were kind of stupid. Apparently, they went all the way through with the plotting with this person, sent him the money, and even set a date. On the date in question, Karen had taken their daughter to her grandparents' house, and had told Ron that she was going to spend the day with them. While she was gone, Ron got a visit from the local police and a federal agent. They explained the situation to him, and basically took him into protective custody. When Karen got home, she expected to find her husband lying dead on the living room floor, but instead had federal agents screaming at her and taking her to the ground. What's worse, she actually brought her daughter home with her, meaning that she would have been okay with the little girl seeing her dead father. Based on what Ron was told, the police had all of the information on the conversation. They had the connection logs from when she was on the page, emails from her to the fake hitman, and enough evidence to put her away for a very long time. Apparently, she was so desperate to get rid of him that she was able to be talked into sending the money over PayPal. She literally sent $15,000 on a credit card over PayPal to have her husband murdered. I don't know if she was just ignorant, or if she wanted it done that bad and wasn't going to question the situation. Thankfully for Ron's sake, she had gotten a hold of a sting site and she was taken down without issue. The boyfriend was also arrested, and they were both charged with conspiracy to commit murder and probably a few other charges related to the hitman. I believe they were both sentenced to 20 years in prison for their plans. Ron has since remarried, and his daughter is old enough to understand what her mother did, but he says that he got lucky with all this, and I agree. If his wife had gone to another page, been a little more competent, and paid just a little more attention to being secure in her messaging and communications... Ron may have legitimately been murdered that day, and she would be off living with her internet boyfriend in the Dakotas. So, this story takes place back in the late summer of 2007. I was 18 years old, had graduated high school, and was looking forward to starting college in just a couple of weeks. I'm a tall guy, a bit over six foot, and was lanky in build back then. My dad and I had a yearly tradition of going on a trip to Reading, where we would stay at a hotel for the weekend and go to the water slides, see a movie, grab dinner from a fancy restaurant or two, and just generally have a good time away from home. It was Saturday and we had gone to the water slides all day, once the sun was setting, we decided to go to In-N-Out for dinner, and then had plans to go to the movies later in the evening. We were going to go see Rush Hour 3, but on this particular occasion, my dad had gotten pretty wiped out and decided he would just relax at the hotel. I still wanted to go to the movies, and said that that was okay. He dropped me off at the movie theater, which was only a couple of miles from the hotel we were staying at, and I told him that he didn't have to wait up for me. I would just walk back after the movie. While I was waiting in line, 
I noted that there was a surprising amount of people around my age all going to see a movie called Superbad. It was starting ten minutes later than Rush Hour 3, and so I was curious to see what it was about, and then I changed to that movie. It was a great time. The movie let out close to midnight, and I was full of energy. The moon was full and it was warm at night, in Reading, low 70s, so I was in good spirits as I started a leisurely walk back to the hotel. On my way back, I noticed a silver car pulling out from a nearby street. It was late and on a quieter part of the city, so there wasn't a whole lot of traffic at that time. So it was notable. It slow rolled up to me and the passenger window rolled down. Inside was a guy who might have been in his late 20s, early 30s. He was clean-shaven with dark hair and decently dressed. He asked me if I needed a ride. I thought it was a little odd, but he was smiling and seemed friendly enough. I'd had such a good day and was still full of energy, though, so I said no thanks, and I told him I was just going to walk back to my hotel. His smile faltered for a moment, and he asked if I was sure. I nodded, assuring him that I would be alright. He shrugged his shoulder and asked one last time if I was certain. I said yeah and then began to walk. He drove off and I thought that was the end of it. But it wasn't. About two minutes later, I was still walking along the street and I saw a car coming from the opposite side of the road. There was a cement divider on the center of the road and it only had a couple of areas where cars could turn around. I had been distracted with my own thoughts and wasn't looking for it, but I thought that it might have been the same car. I glanced back and could just barely see where the road curved, and the car turned around at the same intersection. It turned around and came driving back my way, and now I knew that it was the same car with the guy that I talked to earlier. I saw him look at me as he passed by me again. Chills went down my spine, I began to walk faster, but not too much as I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he had forgotten something, but then realized that he hadn't. Either way, I was paying attention now. Sure enough, as I walked forward, I saw him drive by on the opposite side of the road again. Any doubts that I had disappeared, and now I was on edge, ready to bolt if I saw his car slow down next to me. I saw him drive by again but also some other truck drove by on the opposite side of the street and his car passed by me. At this point, I couldn't see where he could turn around, but I knew the streetlights he could use weren't too far ahead either. I looked around, and across the street from me were some businesses, and they had bushes in front of them. I waited until I couldn't see the silver car anymore, and I ran across the street, and I hid behind the bushes, using them for cover. I watched and I waited. I tied my shoes tight as my heart was pounding, hoping that he would not come by again. But he did. I saw his silver car drive by my hiding spot, and I let out a sigh of relief when he didn't suddenly decide to drive into the parking lot where I was. But I didn't move either. I knew that he could turn around again, so I kept waiting. He drove by again on the opposite side of the street. I then started counting for 10 minutes, 600 seconds. I decided that if I saw his car drive by, 
I would start again and I would still be ready to run just in case. The ten minutes went by and I didn't see his car again. I got up and I shakily made my way back to the hotel, keeping an eye out for any new cars coming my way. None did. My dad woke up when I got back to our hotel room and I told him what happened. He got up and took a look around the hotel parking lot, before saying that we should lock the door, draw the curtains, and try to get some sleep. We left early the next day. I'm really glad that I didn't get into that guy's car that night, because I just recently heard that there had been a number of kidnappings in that area around that time, with people getting taken after getting into seemingly friendly strangers' cars at night. It happened last night around 7.30pm, so it was already dark outside. My friend and I, both 22 and female, were about two-thirds of the way through our 16-hour drive back home from Salem, Massachusetts. I really needed to pee, so we stopped at a rest area in eastern Pennsylvania. I usually avoid rest areas, but it looked nice enough, and I didn't have any bad feelings about it. We walked in, and the only other person inside was an older man, probably mid to late 60s, standing by the vending machine talking on his phone. We went past him across the room and into the bathroom. and We were in there for a good 10 to 15 minutes because she wanted to pop a couple of pimples. When we were finished, we walked back out laughing at something one of us had said. The man was still standing there, but he wasn't on the phone anymore. He stared and smiled at us, in what we both thought was a creepy way. He did this the entire time it took us to get to the door to exit the rest area. We started running back to my car, which was about six parking spaces from the door, still laughing but also a little freaked out. We were about to get in the car when I remembered my boyfriend wanted us to check my oil on the way home, since it was such a long drive and my car had been having some slight issues. I considered waiting until the next time we needed to stop for gas, but decided to just get it over with. As I was checking the oil, the man from before, along with another slightly younger man that we hadn't seen, left the rest area. They both started walking towards us, with the younger one coming head-on on the sidewalk and the older one kind of going diagonally, toward the driver's side of the car. This was odd, because there were no other cars past mine. The only cars that I could see were on the other side of the lot, closer to the building. My friend and I looked at each other and bolted for the car doors, but then I realized I was still holding the dipstick, so I cursed, and we had to run back over and lift the hood back up. Then, we hurried into the car and locked the doors just as they were approaching. We watched as the younger man slowly walked past the car, staring in at us with a blank face. He continued walking down the sidewalk for a while before pausing for a second, and then turning around to come back towards us. The older man, still just smiling, got within a few feet of the driver's side door, and then turned and walked past us to the other side of the parking lot. I backed out, and once I straightened the car and started pulling forward to leave the rest area we saw that he had moved to the middle of the road and was standing there with that same unnerving smile. 
But now, he was motioning for us to stop. I drove past him because, uh, no way. We watched in the mirrors as both men got into cars on the other side of the parking lot closer to the building. We spent the next couple of hours shaken up and blabbing about what could have happened. I'm not sure what their intentions were, but there can't be any good reason to approach two women like that at a rest area. I tried telling myself maybe they were going to ask if I needed help with car troubles, but I was very clearly just checking the oil. And it doesn't make sense why the younger man would walk the complete opposite direction from his car and go so far down the sidewalk. So, I'm not really sure. This story is about these two black-eyed kids that I was unfortunate enough to meet. I was indifferent to them because, of course, I had never experienced this personally. But I do wholeheartedly believe in the paranormal, and after my experience, I'm sure that they are out there. I got off late one night, but I was really itching to go for a run. Due to a double shift, I hadn't been able to for the last two days. I preferred running at night because I got to be alone with my thoughts and enjoy the cooler breeze in peace, so I didn't want to miss this opportunity. I changed really quick, put my hair up, and locked the door behind me. I had created my own path, taking advantage of an incline which, looking at my path on my fitness app, it almost does a figure eight. So I went around the corner before the last turn to be back on the same street of my house. Looking up ahead... I could make out two people standing at the corner, almost like they were waiting to cross. However, they weren't facing towards either of the crosswalks. They were just facing towards me. This immediately caused alarm bells to go off, so I had slowed down to a walk. As I got closer, I could make out their features better, and from the looks of it, it was two kids. One was definitely older than the other, like maybe about 14 and 8. Their clothing was odd, though. They were both in one of those long, old-fashioned nightgowns. Think a little House on the Prairie style. I thought that it was odd to see these two younger girls wearing something like that, but then my mind went to some of the worst-case scenarios. What if these girls had been kidnapped and escaped? Maybe they were just lost and confused. So... I called out to them and asked if they were okay. No response. I still felt uneasy about the situation, even more so since they weren't responding to me. So then I thought, maybe they were a distraction so that someone could abduct me. I got a little closer and again asked if they needed help with anything, and when they didn't respond again, I told myself that I did my good deed in trying to check on them, they just didn't seem interested in my help, so I decided to nope my way away from the situation and cross the street before reaching that corner. This, of course, meant that I had to cross again twice to get back to the correct side. And once I got back on the same side, I noticed that they had turned to face me yet again. I picked my pace back up to a sprint and ran back to my home. 
once I got in, I locked the door and went to splash water on my face to calm me down. Afterwards, I took off my shoes, and as I was walking towards the kitchen to get some water, there was a knock on my door. My stomach just dropped, and I instantly regretted living alone at that point in time. I slowly approached the door and looked out the peephole, and I saw those same two girls standing on my doorstep holding hands. It was like they were staring right at me through the little hole. However, I could clearly tell now by the porch light that their eyes were pitch black. There was no white part. There was no iris, just pure black. I started getting this overwhelming sense of dread just looking at them, so I slowly and silently backed away from the door, thinking they couldn't have possibly known this was my place. There was a tall hedge on the other side of my neighbor's place that would have blocked their view if they were still on the corner, and when I was unlocking my door. I looked around at that point and I couldn't see them either. I hadn't turned on any extra lights yet in the living room, and there was only the light on above the sink in the kitchen, so they couldn't have seen any light through my curtains either. I couldn't make sense as to how they knew this was my home. However, as I backed away from the door without saying anything, I could hear the girls say, Ma'am, can we please use your phone? We need to call our mom. I didn't know how to react. How would they have even known that I was at the door? I just stood there without making a sound, contemplating what to do, when they spoke again. We know you're home, ma'am. Please, can we come in to use your phone? So, I approached the peephole again, and while looking at them, I asked them, What are you two doing outside alone this late at night in the first place? I watched as they both turned and looked at each other simultaneously, and then turned back towards the door. It felt like they were communicating telepathically or something. They just said, We got lost. Please, ma'am, can you let us in? I finally just told them that I would call the police for them, and that they would be able to take them back to their mom. They again looked at each other and back at the door, but didn't say anything. So, I backed away and grabbed my cell phone and pretended like I was calling the cops. I guess I grabbed my phone in case I actually had to call them. I started saying out loud like I was talking to an operator, Yes, hi, my address is... my address. And there are two young kids at my door saying they're lost. Can you send an officer to take them home? After this, I went back to see what they were doing, but they were gone. They weren't on the porch in my yard, and I couldn't even see them out in the street in front. I was already feeling freaked out about their presence alone, but it felt even worse not knowing where they went. So, I called the cops for real. They sent someone out and checked the surrounding area, but they were nowhere to be found. I feel like the officer thought that I was a bit crazy, being afraid of some 14 and 8 year old, but... There was definitely something wrong with those kids. What were they going to do if they did get inside? Either way, I had never experienced black-eyed children before, and I genuinely hope that I never do again. 
my dark web story is one that actually happened recently. Within the last four or five months, actually. And it's one of the most disturbing and sickening things that I've ever seen or experienced in my 32 years of being on this earth. There are some really sick people out there. And I want to say to those of you listening, stay off the dark web. Enjoy the stories told by those of us that were stupid enough to get involved in it, but don't get curious enough to drag yourself into the mud. Like most people living in this quarantine, it's left me with an excessive amount of spare time on my hands. I am still employed, thankfully, but I get to work from the comfort of my living room. I'm not going to name my employer or my job title for obvious security reasons, but I will say that I'm pretty much the guy on the network team that gets to sit at home and watch data traffic spikes for the company's applications and websites. To be honest, I probably have one of the easiest jobs out there. I have to watch a graph system as it shows how much data our servers are pushing and receiving, and unless we get hit with a denial-of-service attack... There's not much to be done. If anything does happen, I have to get on my phone and talk with the other networking guys about what actions we want to take, and then have my weekly report call with my boss to tell her that everything is working as intended. We aren't a huge companies, and we upgraded our servers at the end of last year, which was perfect timing, so there's honestly not a whole lot to do on the day-to-day. Based on what I just said, You can probably assume that I know my way around a computer. I've been in IT my whole career, and I like to believe that I can hold my own out there. I know how networks run, I understand data routing, and I know a lot about data encryption and security. During the start of quarantine, I started studying more about data security and such, and I ended up being interested in Tor onion routing and how the deep web and dark web differ from the surface web. If you really want some interesting reads, you should look into the Marianas web. It's an interesting rabbit hole. As most technically adapted people do, I got both bored and curious about what existed out there in the deeper parts of the internet. I didn't want to do anything illegal, but... Part of me wanted to be familiar with what content and activities existed beyond the surface. I know that this is stupid, but boredom and extra time can be a terrifying motivator when you kind of know what you're doing. I went through the process of setting up my personal system to get on the dark web. I installed Tails, set up Tor, got a decent VPN after some vetting, did my security checks... I started going through some of the onion links that were easily accessible, and for the most part, they were innocent sites that really didn't have anything crazy on them. I was simply perusing the pages, not getting heavily involved. I found a lot of what you would expect to find. Adult content, a few illegal shop sites, various conspiracy boards and other forums. Just some basic deep web content that didn't really stand out to me. Then, I ended up on a page that I would have never expected to see on the dark web. A dating site. I say dating site, but based on the explanation of their service and some of the profiles, I think it was meant to be more like Tinder. One night stand interactions with little to no commitment. What I found 
was that the dating page was set up in what I can only call categories, basically split out into what you were looking for in a partner. It had categories for race, ethnicity, background, sexual preference, personal kinks, and even a section that was basically for sugar daddies. And if you don't know what that is, I'm not going to explain it to you. One category under personal kinks section had me curious, as it was something that I wasn't sure about. It was simply labeled Chasers. I clicked on it and decided that I would spend a few minutes looking through the profiles. What I ended up finding was nothing short of legitimately horrifying. The profile that I clicked on was of a middle-aged guy. He looked fairly attractive, and he looked like someone that would do well on the dating apps. I was reading through who he was, trying to figure out what the hell made him a chaser, when I got to the bottom of his profile. It read the following. I'm looking for anyone that can help me achieve my lifelong dream of being physical with an HIV-infected individual. The entire section further outlined how it was a goal of his to catch the disease, and that he was willing to pay almost any amount to do this. I went to another profile, and it was a young man that explained that he had been infected with COVID, and he was willing to give it to anyone that wanted it for the price of a nice dinner. The third profile that I went to was looking for someone to hurt or severely injure them while being intimate. And I'm not even going to explain the specifics of what this guy wanted, but he definitely needed to seek help. This entire category was of people looking to catch diseases or give diseases to each other, and a few others that were looking to be injured. A lot of them were looking to pay for these services, saying that it was a deep fantasy of theirs, I think the most disgusting one, besides the ones that I mentioned, was a man that was requesting to be with a woman that had terminal cancer. There's nothing inherently wrong with being with someone that has cancer, I have no issues with that, but he was treating it like a fetish, and he listed in his profile that the sicker the better. Again, he listed that he was willing to pay significant amounts of money or even take care of medical costs for this. This site cemented in my mind that there were some very, very disturbed people out there. I closed it, shut down my laptop. I won't say that it was the last time that I ever got on the deep web, but it definitely made me more careful about where I went, and a lot less curious about what was out there. This happened when I went to a family reunion some time ago. Back then, I didn't know about black-eyed kids or that they even existed, but I've had plenty of paranormal experiences. So, when I was talking to some people in a comment section elsewhere about this one, they thought that it was a black-eyed kid, so I thought I should share it. I was about 14 at the time, my little sister, Allie, was seven. There were other kids there, all our cousins and my brother, Sean, but this was mainly about Allie and I. The reunion was taking place at a local park and was set up at a shelter. And there were lots of people around, lots of food and drinks, and thankfully, 
lots for us kids to do to stay entertained. There were two playgrounds at this park. One was very old. Like, I wouldn't let my kids play on it without a dozen tetanus shots old. And since it was all made of metal, anything you had to grab or sit on was always on fire in the summer. The other playground was much newer and a lot more fun to play on. It was mostly plastic, or at least was metal covered with plastic so the kids didn't fry on it. It was bigger and also had a bigger swing set, and other nearby things to play on. Of course, the shelter was closer to the old one, so we were a little further away from the adults. Probably wasn't the best idea not having any adults over there, but there were a few older cousins and other parents with their kids nearby. We spent a lot of time on the playground that day. We even managed to sneak a jug of tea from the party and cups away in a wagon and have our own little party under the parts of the playground. The underpart was built like a playhouse and had a window and doors that opened, and even a little mailbox. I loved it. We'd probably been out there for five or six hours at this point, and the sun was beginning to set as the sky was taking on the pretty pink and orange colors, but it definitely wasn't dark yet. Some people had left, but of course, our parents were still there, so we continued to play. At one point, we decided to play a mix of hide-and-seek and tag, where you hide, and then if you're found, you can try to run from the it person until you were finally caught. One of our cousins was it at this point, and we all went and hid. He'd found a few of us, but then ended up saying that he had to leave so we could all come out. I told him I'm still not convinced he actually had to leave and he was just tired of seeking, as he was known to do that, but I digress. So, we all started coming out, and that's when I noticed I didn't see Allie. I asked Sean if he saw her, and he said no. So, I started looking around for her when I saw her standing near the fence line, which separated the park from the lake and a property on the other side. I don't think there was a house over there, but... The lake was over there as well, just a bunch of land. Trees, bushes, just that. So when I started to approach my sister and saw that she was talking to another little girl that was on the other side of the fence, I was curious as to why she was there and not with an adult. The girl, however, did not look normal. First, she had on a really outdated dress... I now recognize this as Victorian-era style. It was long and puffy, like it had a petticoat underneath it. There were layers and ruffles all over with puffy sleeves. She also had on a small bonnet-type hat and tight black curly hair framing her face. At first glance, it was odd, but it was a pretty cute outfit. However, all of this was shadowed when I saw her face. I thought the cap on her bonnet was covering it, but in actuality, she had no eyes. It terrified me. I don't know what she was saying, but I cut Allie off as I grabbed her arm, pulling her back away from the fence. Now, unless the girl climbed over the fence, I knew that we would be safe, as that fence went all the way up to the parking lot. We would have made it to our parents before she reached the lot, though. 
but as I pulled her back, I remember saying something like, Who are you talking to? And what's wrong with her eyes? Is she okay? Allie said that she noticed her wave when she went to hide and was also curious as to why she was over there, so she approached her. She claims that she didn't even notice her eyes until I pointed them out, but even afterwards, she didn't seem phased by it, which was weird. It was freaking me out. Why was it not scaring a seven-year-old? The little girl only said that she needed help and asked us to go to the water with her. We both tried questioning more as to what she needed help with, but she refused to answer, always repeating pretty much the same thing. And it was creepier because it was always in the same tone, but with never any inflections. So I again asked her what was wrong with her eyes, and after a pause, she said, I can see everything. Please, I'll show you by the water. Nope. I said that we would get an adult to help her, grabbed Allie again, and pulled her away from the fence. Now, my birthday had just recently passed, and my parents got me a camera with replaceable films, so I took it everywhere. I even had a little case that I carried it in that went over my shoulder, and I had been taking a lot of pictures that day. I did not hesitate to snap a photo of this girl as we walked towards the playground. Allie and I walked straight up to my mom and told her what we saw, and she seemed disinterested in our story at first. Then I mentioned something being wrong with her eyes, and that apparently caught her attention. We then walked her back to the fence, however the girl was gone. Allie and I insisted that it was real, but my mom just shrugged it off as either someone playing a prank, or maybe the girl found her guardians and they helped her. We never forgot about it, though. Allie didn't seem as disturbed by it, but man, I had a hard time sleeping that night. I kept my lamp on all night that night, and even tried reading something to get my mind off of it before finally falling asleep. It was probably about two months later when my mom finally took me to get my film developed from my camera. As I was going through the pictures, I remember specifically taking the picture of the girl and I wanted to show my mom the proof that I was right. I was at that age that I was doing that on a quite frequent and probably pretty annoying basis, I'm sure. However, much to my dismay and relief, the picture was of a grassy field. The fence and glistening lake was among those photos, but there was no girl standing at the fence. There was no way that she would have been able to move out of the view for that photo and then go right back to where she was in the amount of time it took me to hold the camera up and snap the picture. I was in disbelief and still am to this day. I have no explanation for it. I even showed the picture to Allie who remembered the events and she was just as surprised at the picture as I was. So, as mentioned... Telling some people online about it, they feel that there were several indicators of a black-eyed kid. If it was, that was the only time I've ever witnessed one and it scared the hell out of me. Of all the paranormal encounters I've had, that was probably one of the worst. What would have happened if we would have went with her to the lake? It honestly freaks me out just thinking about it. 
I used to be one of those people that liked to go on the dark web for the fun of it. And I would frequent a number of underground-style sites. I worked in the IT industry, and for some reason the dark web and the deep web are these strangely taboo things that we aren't supposed to discuss with normal people. But it's not exactly the best-kept secret. Those of us that do go out on tour and look at things that are, at their best, questionable... It's almost like we can smell it on other users. We all have this weird sixth sense that can tell if the person next to us is one that peruses the deep. Okay, not really, but typically we can tell by your demeanor if you are someone that knows what they're talking about. And most of the time, something on the deep or dark web will come up. I'm the kind of person that knows what they're talking about probably a bit too well. Let me put it this way. If it was something that was shady, sketchy, unsavory, or otherwise a legally gray area, I was probably spending some time each and every day looking at it to see what it was. I spent more than my fair share of time on a few deep web community boards, mostly chatting with like-minded people that also had way too much spare time on their hands. My favorite pastimes were posting on conspiracy boards. It's kind of crazy to see what people will say when there's no limit or filter, and honestly, some of the things that they say out there may be more true than we would like to believe. Case in point, hitmen sites totally exist, and are potentially a legitimate business. Well, not legitimate, and of course I mean the ones that aren't honeypots anyway. Aside from that, There are a lot of marketplaces that exist on the deep web for things that are questionable. But the dark web, well, that's where things turn to the downright illegal. I will admit to having spent my fair share of time and money on dark web markets. I've bought things that are illegal to own, and I've seen things that I should not have seen. And things I definitely did not want to see. That said... I wanted to write this quick story about one of the marketplaces that actually kind of freaked me out and made me pull away from the illegal stuff. There was a particular marketplace that existed that touted itself as the be-all and end-all of dark web markets. And it was essentially this massive dark web version of Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace. If you were looking for something that you shouldn't have been and were willing to spend some Bitcoin then you were in luck, because odds were that they had it. Bootleg movies? Check. Viagra from another country? Check. Computers potentially stolen from a government facility? Well, you guessed it. Check. However, it got a bit deeper than that. They also had services that you could pay for. Nothing like the Hitmen sites, but if you wanted to quote-unquote have a good time with someone about to die, then you could. Hey, I don't judge others for what they do behind closed doors. I keep my opinions to myself and just live my life. That said, I actually stumbled on something that I initially thought, there's no way that's real. Until I messaged the seller and then, well, I'm not so sure anymore. It could have been a honeypot or a fed trap, but if so, it was a damn good one. 
I was perusing the market one afternoon looking for something stupid. I think I was looking for shoes or something. Don't ask. That was when I stumbled upon something that's simply labeled new. I like new things, so I eagerly clicked on it and went to read what was so interesting about this new product. Well, this product wasn't really a product. The description read something like, and I am paraphrasing here, have access to any age up to seven and can deliver, forged paperwork is extra, must have payment ready for any and all offers. Obviously, my first thought was that this was a full-on honeypot or a scam for people that were looking for children, which would be a fairly niche scam if you think about it. So, I mentally defaulted to honeypot, and because I was a bit of an edgy 20-something, I decided I would message the seller to mess with them a bit. I logged into my account on the market, and I went to the user to send them a message. I asked something along the lines of, How do we know you're legitimate and not a fed trying to arrest someone? They responded with, Well, you don't. Which kind of solidified the honeypot idea that I had in mind already. I responded with, Can you prove that you're legitimate? I have the Bitcoin ready if you're an actual seller. Again, just trying to goad this person into giving me anything that would confirm my personal bias. They sent me a message back saying, Boy or girl, and how old? I had to think on this one for a second. I wanted to give him something that would be kind of tough to respond with. So I said, Boy, around five. He sent back some pictures of a little boy that looked to be around four or five years old. In the pictures, the boy was looking pretty happy. He was in a basement area playing with toys, and there was one of him watching Spongebob on TV. I was actually getting a bit nauseous with this whole thing, so I responded back, Is he the one that's for sale? At this point, I felt like I needed to gather as much information as I possibly could, so I could take it to the authorities. The seller responded with, He is one of them, yes. I then asked him to prove that he didn't just send me a picture of his own kid trying to bait me. He then asked me my name, which was a question that I had wanted to avoid. I was a bit nervous at first, for obvious reasons. So, I told him that my name was Marcus. It's not, but you don't tell people on the dark web your real name. After I told him my name, I hadn't gotten a response back for about an hour, and I was almost certain that he was a fed that was tracking me at this point. That is, until he did finally respond. I got a message back with an MP4 attached to it, and in the video was the boy. He was playing with a couple Hot Wheels. In the video, you could hear a man talking, and I'm assuming that was the seller. The man asked the boy what his name was. The boy said Tony. The man then asked who was filming him. The boy said Uncle Will. And then the man said, And who is this video for? The boy responded with, Uncle Marcus. He then asked, And why are we making this video? And the little boy laughed and responded with, To find a new mommy and daddy. There was a bit more back and forth to prove that this kid was legitimate, and to show that the seller wasn't messing around. He then ended the video with, 
Now that you can see that little Tony here is very real and in need of a good loving home, let's talk payment. I prefer Bitcoin, but I'll take any of the current stablecoins. I'll be waiting for your response. Well, you'd better believe that I took that information and video straight to the authorities. In the form of an anonymous communication, of course. I know, I am a bit of a coward, but when you're a criminal taking down bigger criminals, it's best to not put your name on anything. I don't personally know what happened with the case. I'm assuming that they passed it on to the FBI division that handles that kind of stuff, but... I haven't personally been hunted down or arrested, nor killed yet, so I guess things are going smoothly. And yes, unfortunately, this should serve as proof that you can literally buy anything off of the dark web. When I was around 24... I moved out to an apartment near my college since the dorms were unavailable, or just not spacious. However, I quickly realized that renting would be very expensive, especially for a college student. Thankfully, I was able to meet up with another student who wanted a buddy, and lucky me, he is a chef in the works, and would love to cook every other night without having to pay him. I would basically be his tester and rate his cooking. Our first month together was the best. He made such exotic meals that could only be found at high-end restaurants. Almost every cook night would be something that I would look forward to. However, one Saturday morning, I woke up to some tummy ache. I had to rush to the bathroom and puked. I was actually surprised by this and went to my roommate who was making breakfast. He was surprised to hear this too and checked yesterday's leftovers and didn't see anything bad. I figured it could have been that I simply ate too much since prior to dinner last night, I hit the gym and lifted heavier than usual. Every other night, in no particular pattern, I would experience more belly pain kind of like both in and on my stomach. I assumed my habits of working out hard had to be the reason, and eating a lot afterwards. But I also noticed that after eating, I would get so tired and usually go to bed right after, which never happened before moving in with my roommate. I also noticed that he always plated my food for me, and if I tried to help out, or pour it myself, he would tell me that I would ruin his masterpiece. I could understand what he meant, but it still made me a little suspicious. I finally had the idea to open up about this and talk to a close friend about it. She told me she would stay with me for the night because I was suspicious that he was doing something to me, but couldn't figure out if he really was. Now, mind you, I knew that I should probably move out and find another place to live, but I still had a few months for the lease, and I didn't really have enough money to just leave. So, that night, everything went as normal. I came home from the gym, I came home and had dinner with my roommate, but as I'm finishing up, my friend shows up. I pretend that I forgot to mention that my girlfriend, not really, but just wanted to make it believable, was sleeping over. 
Surprisingly, my roommate took this very well. It was about that time that I started to get tired and I went to my room and fell asleep. So, this is the perspective from my friend. She also went into my room and saw that I was fast and in a deep sleep. But she knew very well that I'm a light sleeper. In fact, breathing hard enough could wake me up. But she was patting and shaking me and I just would not budge. Hours later, my friend woke up to the sound of the door opening. She stayed still, but from her original position, she could see the door. And from adjusting to the darkness, she could see somebody peeking in. At least five minutes passed by, and whoever it was, most likely my roommate, left, and didn't come back for the rest of the night. When I woke up, I didn't feel any sort of pain. And my friend told me everything and was worried that my roommate was the cause of my pain. So, for a week, I decided to stay with her and occasionally I would get texts from my roommate asking when I was coming back, and then he would send pictures of his delicious food. As much as I wanted to stay with my friend, I couldn't because she lived far from the college and it was a hassle traveling that far. She didn't attend the same college. However, she did give me the idea of buying some secret spy cameras that just looked like regular things. So, I bought two small wall clocks and two charger plugs. The layout of my room when looking from above is basically door on the upper left side, TV and small table that it stands on is also left center side, bed is on the right back corner of the room, and closet is at front and center of the room. I set one clock to face the door, the other clock right side of the closet to face me, end of the bed. One charger plug on the table connected from extension cord to face me, side of the bed, and the other on another extension cord on the bed facing me from the top. I had a bad feeling that having two clocks and two extension cords in my room would be suspicious, but hopefully he wouldn't notice. Night came, and it was the same routine. I went to bed that night and woke up around the same time with a bellyache. I then logged into my laptop and reviewed the footage. What I saw was that he did in fact enter my room with something in his hand. He came in as if I wasn't home, and what my friend said was right. It was like I was dead asleep. He pulled the blankets off of me and began with rubbing me before revealing the object to be a toy. He proceeded to torture me while whispering something that sounded like how he wished that I loved him, and why can't he do this to me when I'm awake? I think this all lasted for like half an hour before switching to another for a few and then he left the room. I was in complete shock, and I went straight to the bathroom and showered and puked until I swear my stomach was completely empty. For the record, I'm not gay or bi, but I don't have anything against them, but after seeing the footage, I started to sort of feel fear towards them. I never ate another meal from him ever since, and as much as I could, I would either sleep at my friend's house or have them over. I even installed a lock on my door to have a key, since the previous door only had one of those basic locks that could be opened with the screwdriver. I never spoke to my roommate the same, and he noticed this, and he tried to sit down with me, as if he was concerned for me. 
but I always brought up excuses that I was late for something. I talked to my friend about this, and she forced me to speak with the college. I really didn't want to talk about this, but I eventually did, and I even showed them the footage. I don't know what happened to my roommate afterwards, but he was evicted from the apartment and probably expelled from the school. I don't know if he went to prison, but I do hope that he did. And sometimes I hope that he has the same experience of what he did to me. I've been a user of the dark web for quite a long time, going through the various deep sites and seeing what's out there. There are some interesting people and pages that exist, but if you don't know what you're doing, I really don't recommend getting involved. I've been in too deep for a while, and the story I'm about to tell you was at a time in my life where I was out of control and doing stupid things. Back in the day, I used to be one of those users that may or may not have been involved in some questionable activity. Of this questionable activity, the worst was doing business with a website that was very similar to Silk Road. It was not Silk Road, but it was obviously trying to be, as dumb as that sounds, but the prices were more competitive than others. Thinking back to it now, that probably should have been a red flag. The bigger sites had methods of verification of their sellers, they knew who they were working with, and the security was definitely part of the pricing structure. But when you're a broke college kid that's addicted to certain medications, you don't really think too hard on the security of your dealer. Basically, your only thoughts are, do they have what I want, and can I afford it? So, obviously... I knew what I was doing back when I got involved with these sites and these people. I knew it was illegal, and I knew that I had no way of disputing if my dealer didn't come through, and I would have no manner of taking legal action against the site or seller. The site did have an interesting system in place, though. The sellers wouldn't list what they had beyond a few cryptic user tags, and they had what they called a traffic light system. Basically, the seller could mark their stock based on a color. Green was fully stocked, yellow was limited, red was offline and not selling. If it was green, you could basically send them the money and get whatever you wanted. Yellow typically required a message to make sure they had what you wanted, and red just basically meant do not contact me. It was actually a pretty damn smart way of doing things, and... It cut out having to incriminate yourself by specifically listing what you had. And it also cut down on the communication requirements. You just bought what you wanted and moved on. In my time on the site, there was one user that I worked with regularly over the two years. They were very dependable, and strangely enough, incredibly polite when I had to message them. I know that sounds stupid, but... They typically signed their messages with, Have a nice day and thank you for your business. Not something you would expect from a person committed to doing something that's illegal. They were the only person I wanted to work with on this website, and they always came through for me. 
In my time doing business with them, they had always been green or yellow. I couldn't recall once over the two years where they had switched over to red. Well, that is until the last time that I put in an order with them. I got on the site as normal, and I saw that he had marked himself as yellow. No big deal. I sent him a message basically asking if my usual was available. Almost immediately after, his page had switched over to red. I was a bit annoyed as he had always come through for me and I was, as I said, an addict. I went over to his page and sent him another message that basically said, Hey man, what gives? Within a few moments, I got a message back that said to, put it kindly, F off. This came as an honest surprise to me as, like I said, he had always been so cordial before. I responded with something like, Do you not want my money anymore? I waited for an hour to see if he would message back, but I didn't get anything. It was a few days later that I went back to see if maybe he had stock again. I think part of me seriously thought that the seller was just having a bad day, or maybe it was a partner of his that just wasn't as polite. When I logged in, I saw that I had a message from him. I clicked it, and it said, I have your usual, send me the money. I was a bit wary at first, but I was also naive and needed to keep my mind focused to study for exams. Despite my initial hesitation, I went ahead and sent him the money. I replied, told him that it was sent, and I waited. I think I messaged him once or twice within that week, but he had been offline since our last interaction and hadn't changed his account from Red. About a week after our last interaction, I got the package. The box looked like it was heavily used and trashy. This was in a complete contrast from what I was used to. When I opened it, it was lacking pretty much all of the security the seller normally had. He would typically pack inconspicuous items in with the order, usually stuffed animals. I'm assuming it was because they worked as both security and padding. But... Instead, the box was full of packing peanuts and tissue paper. I dumped it out on the floor and checked it, thinking I was duped, but then I saw the pill bottle and an envelope with what appeared to be a letter. The first thing I did was open the letter. It said, Consider this your last order? Jimmy is out of the trade. Thanks for your business. I was a little pissed off since I was going to have to now find a new person on the site to work with, but at the same time, it wasn't a huge deal. At least I had about 60 days before that was going to be a problem. That was until I grabbed the bottle and opened it. I removed the lid and saw that, inside the bottle, were fingernails. I don't mean like fingernail trimmings. I mean fingernails that had been ripped out of the bedding of the finger. Ten of them, to be exact. The edges of them looked like they had dried blood, which told me they had been forcibly removed. It was then that the letter's meaning became a bit more dark, with Jimmy being out of the trade. To answer any potential questions, I never went back to the site. I never went to any drug sites on the dark web at all. This scared me to the point that I pretty much abandoned all illegal activity. And to those that are curious, 
No, I did not go to the police. I wanted to. I wanted to tell them that it was possible someone had been murdered, but how exactly does one explain that with what I had? I couldn't waltz into the precinct, slam my pill bottle full of fingernails down, and say, my drug dealer has been murdered. Technically, he could have pulled them out himself. Not likely, but possible. So, anyways, that's my story. Stay off the dark web. Deep web stuff is probably okay, and don't do drugs. A few years ago, I was living with my friend in a sort of crummy apartment building in a not-so-great town. We're both female and we're used to getting catcalled and harassed, so we knew how to handle ourselves and be aware of our surroundings. I'm a pretty approachable and friendly person and can hold a conversation with just about anyone. I've shared cigarettes with the homeless former meth addict and listened intently while he shared his entire backstory with me. I've been approached by drunk women on countless occasions who just want to talk to me about our compatible astrological signs or vent about men. My philosophy in life has always been that everyone has their own journey they're on and that we're all humans, so why not be nice to one another? I've been called naive because of this mindset in the past, but I know that I can stand up for myself if I need to. Still, hindsight is twenty-twenty, and I wish I could have seen how naive I was when I invited the chicken guy to my stoop. My friend and I had a small concrete stoop outside of our apartment, which was our safe haven away from our other abusive roommate. Just to put some distance between him and us, we would take to the stoop and light up a cigarette, if only to forget our situation for a while. On one of these outings, which were becoming more and more frequent at that point, a car yielded in front of us. The stoop faced the back parking lot of the building, and people sometimes stopped their cars like this to run into their nearby unit, so we didn't really pay too much attention to it. That was until he called over to us, asking to bum a cigarette. It wasn't uncommon for people to ask to bum from us when they saw us sitting outside, so there weren't really any initial red flags. The man bounced out from his SUV when we said sure, and my friend lent him a lighter as he took one of my marble golds. He thanked us profusely, took a couple of drags, and told us that he had just come from a barbecue with some family before lighting up and saying, Oh, wait right there. We did as he said, a little unnerved at this point. I expected him to come back with pot or something to return the favor, but instead, he bounced back to us carrying a paper plate covered in tinfoil. He dropped the plate at our feet, and after a pause, my friend asked, What is it? Open it, the man replied, gesturing. My friend looked from the plate to me and kind of chuckled. The man was eagerly looking down at us, so I made the first move and peeled back the tinfoil. I was nervous until a waft of something familiar hit my nose. It was chicken. Grilled and seasoned chicken wings and a couple of ribs. My friend and I both looked at one another. She seemed to be as relieved as I was. Go on, eat, the man encouraged, 
dropping down to sit cross-legged in front of us. Tentatively, my friend took a chicken wing in her hand and I took a rib. The meat was actually really good, and we thanked him. Without knowing it, we had just invited a conversation, and a long one at that. We were outside with the man for hours talking, or rather letting him talk, eating and smoking. Eventually, we told him that we definitely had to go in, and he took off in his SUV. Later, we joked about it, naming him the chicken guy, and I chalked it up as a weird interaction with good intentions behind it. The next time that we saw the chicken guy was when we were once again out on the stoop. This time, my friend had one of her friends over. This friend, now ex-friend, had a lot of problems and we were in the process of trying to keep him from leaving the apartment with a bottle of liquor. As if by magic, Chicken Guy appeared and greeted us before sitting cross-legged on the concrete slab. He soon figured out that something was going on when he saw the bottle and offered that maybe we could share the liquor there. I realized that he was trying, in his own way, to keep the friend from straying. However, his attempts to ground the friend were ineffective. Eventually, the situation was sorted out by my friend, who left me outside with the chicken guy in order to take care of her friend. I wasn't uneasy being alone with this guy. After all, I was right outside of my unit with the range of three other people who could back me up if anything happened. I wasn't uneasy until the guy asked me for my number. Before I could finish saying that I wasn't interested, he interjected. It's not like that, the guy said. I just want to hang out with you guys sometimes, as friends. As nice as this guy seemed, there was no way we were all going to become friends. Throughout both encounters we'd had with him, we could tell that he was high on something other than weed, and we'd only talked to him once before. I kindly rejected his request, and though he looked a little upset, he wished us well and took off. I wish that that was the last encounter we had with Chicken Guy. If it had been, I could at least write the two meetings off as funny, weird stories. But we had one last meeting with him. A very creepy end to the story of Chicken Guy. It was already 1.30 in the morning. My friend and I had been binge-watching something on Netflix and lost track of the time. We were just about to start up the next episode when we saw a shadow at the back door. Because all of our lights were on, you could just barely make out a human shape on the other side of our sliding glass door. We weren't sure who it was until we heard a now familiar voice call to us. It was Chicken Guy. I almost instinctively went to answer the door before my friend gestured for me not to. So, we sat and waited for him to go away. Surely he would leave once he realized we were clearly ignoring him, right? No. This guy starts knocking and then banging on our door, calling out to us occasionally. I couldn't even say anything, and I think my friend was just as nervous as I was. We had literally only talked to this guy twice before, and now he was banging on our door when most people were already asleep. Eventually, I got up all my courage and slid the door open a crack. He started asking if we had a cigarette that he could bum, but I stopped him and told him that we didn't smoke anymore, which was true. His face fell, 
and then I said that we were going to bed soon and pushed for him to leave. Still seeming upset, he walked away while giving a half-hearted thanks, and I quickly closed and locked the door behind me. I know that nothing violent happened in this story. No one was hurt, robbed, or cussed out, but you never know what people are capable of, and this story could have ended much worse. Our other roommate chewed us out for letting some random person chill outside of our unit and told us how stupid we were. For a while afterward, we each made sure not to walk through the lot alone at night. For weeks, we waited for him to pop up again, but luckily he never did. I don't think I can ever stop seeing the good in people. I may seem naive, but I've been raised to trust others and not judge a book by its cover. Still, since this situation, I've become much more cautious in my interactions with others. My advice now to others, and 22-year-old me, would be don't put yourself in jeopardy just because you don't want to come across as rude. The temporary backlash you might get for being rude to someone is much better than getting yourself into a bad situation with the wrong person. Be safe out there. I'm not one to ever advocate for using the dark web for any purpose other than pure entertainment, and even then you should keep your curiosity a bit higher on the surface, like maybe a deep web level stuff. Satiate yourself with the pages that host the dumb conspiracy theories, the adult content that is legal, and the other anonymity-wrapped sites that probably could exist on the surface web right next to Facebook. In the end, the dark web is for illegal activities, not everyday use, and there are too many people out there that have a strange curiosity for it. Just don't. Full stop. I want to preface this with the fact that I am submitting this story as anonymous for my own personal safety, for a few reasons but I also want to note that I do not follow the beliefs or mentalities of those in this story. When I was young, I fell into a bad group of people and was pretty much convinced that I needed to hate people because of how they looked. And I want to say that I was brainwashed 100%. I realize now how stupid this behavior is and how stupid that mindset was, but... A lot of younger men out there are a product of their environment, and it's incredibly difficult to not fall into these groups whenever they start to notice you. My anonymity is for two reasons. I don't want the people out there to find me now and attempt to cancel me, if you will, because I was an idiot. And two, I don't want these people to find me. That said... I wanted to tell you about one of the things that I found on the dark web once, one of those things that really makes you lose all faith in humanity. Back when I was younger, probably 10 or so years ago, I used to be the edgy 20-year-old that thought I was so cool because I was hanging out on all of the dark and freaky parts of the web. I'm not proud of who I was. I used to be on some of the boards that most people would see as reprehensible, and I was honestly brainwashed into certain things that, again, I no longer believe. Those boards are seriously filled with some of the most reprehensible people, 
that are of the mind that they are superior in every way. Anyways, in my time on one particular board, I won't name the name, obviously, as I don't want to give them any clout or traffic, I got in with a very specific group of people. I'll call them the Knights for the sake of the story, but that's not exactly what they were called. For the most part, this group was very full of supremacists, and other very sick people. And while I was sort of into the same ideology of them at the time, most of these guys were on a whole other level. I remember that they would discuss high-profile enemies, as they would call them, and they would discuss what they wanted to do with them. Usually these people were of a specific ethnicity or origin, and usually the conversation would steer quickly towards quote-unquote cleansing. I would personally stay out of these conversations and would just read what the higher-ups in the group had to say, and it was never pleasant. Most of the time, these targets would be politicians, local leaders, various TV personalities, and the like. It was pretty clear that this group practically fantasized about harming these people, and they would state their intentions as graphically as they could. While this in and of itself is pretty sickening... It's just words. Yes, words have weight, but if they aren't being acted upon, then they remain just words, and that's what most of it was. Of course, after a while, some of the posts would slowly morph from angry words towards celebrities to basically doxing people local to the posters. They would go as far as posting people of different ethnicities in their yard, at their homes, including a ton of personally identifiable information. Where they worked, their addresses, what they drove, their schedule. I remember there was one post where one of the members actually uploaded a quick video of himself, breaking into one of their homes during the day. He mentioned in the video that he did so because he knew they wouldn't be home, and in the video he actually trashed their house. He rampaged through their living room, smashed their TV, broke mirrors. He seriously just trashed their house and then ran out and got away from the scene. And, again, as terrible as destruction of private property was, it got worse. And this is where I personally checked out of the whole thing. There was a post from one of the users that was, I believe, in Texas. He made a post about how he found some people that were out in the open area near the border and he made it very clear that these were immigrants crossing over. He detailed how he had spoken to them when he found them, and how he had told them that they could stay on a property nearby that he owned. He had led them to an abandoned business, again claiming that he owned it and let them in. Then, he said that once they trusted him and were thinking that they would be able to lie low in the building for a while, he pulled out a gun and, well, you can guess the rest. He was gloating about what he had done to a couple of people that were just crossing the border, solely because he didn't like them. He was proud of this. This sick piece of garbage was bragging about how he was a murderer. One of the other users posted a comment and told him to prove it, and that he would be rewarded if it were true. Well, I'm just going to say he did prove it. He posted enough information to show that he wasn't lying. 
he then posted a picture of a child and said that he didn't want to hurt the kid, but he didn't know what to do now that she was an orphan. That one user that told him to prove it said that he could take care of it and get the child out of the state and a bit north. He knew someone that would potentially pay for her. I stopped reading the thread after this mostly because it clicked in me how sick these people were, how absolutely disgusting some individuals can be. If anyone is curious, I did contact the police. I screenshot everything that I had seen and I got in touch with and then personally met with a local officer. I showed them the page, I gave them all the information that I had, and I'm assuming they went forward with it. I have to guess they wanted to further investigate me, but seeing as how I was basically snitching on these guys, they didn't. Like I said before, I'm a totally different person now. I do not believe in any of the ideology that those people touted or pushed, and thinking of what I did believe back then makes me just sick to my stomach. To anyone out there that is in with these people or thinks like them, I hope that you eventually come to your senses. And to anyone out there that's thinking of hopping onto the dark web, please take this as a reason not to. Hey there, friends. That was today's episode of the As the Raven Dreams podcast. And I really hope that you all enjoyed this collection of scary stories. If you did, please do consider checking out my YouTube channel where I do these same stories, but a little bit earlier than I do them here on the podcast form, and also in slightly different collections. If you really enjoy the podcast, please do consider giving it a rating of any sort if the platform you're listening on has ratings. Any honest rating is appreciated by me, be it 5-star, 1-star, however you want to do it. Just know that rating the podcast helps tremendously. And, if you would like to support further, I do have a Patreon and channel memberships if you'd like to do things on the YouTube side, where for as little as a dollar a month, you get early access to my content. Never ever expected, but always appreciated. That said, friends, I hope that I do see you on the next episode of this podcast. And of course, until then, sleep well.